Alright, so we come to lesson number nine. Can you believe we've done eight previous lessons so far? That's crazy, isn't it? So lesson number nine, and we've gone through all of chapter one and we've seen all about the life of Paul. We saw about the role of the apostle. We saw an introduction to the book. And then we dealt with the spiritual blessings, that huge long sentence in chapter one of blessings, and then that thanksgiving prayer for those blessings and last week we began to look at the subject where Paul begins to address a bit about sin and he addresses where we were in our place of sinfulness and why we should be thankful. So today we come to verses 11 to 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to read that. We're going to do a bit of scripture reading, I hope you don't mind. I do like the Bible. So we're going to use that and we're going to read that a bit tonight um, Later on as well. So this passage, if we read along 11 to 22, says this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens of God But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. For in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we come as this next passage of this glorious letter of Ephesians. Paul shifts from looking at the comparisons of the old life to the new life in Christ. And he moves on to now to show us now how this union we have now makes the believers one in Christ. There is an emphasis throughout this passage here on words like peace and hostility. And structural, the structural building of things. So we're going to break it down here in verse 11. It says this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. What I love most about the Bible is this, that the more you study it, the more you keep getting from it. It never runs dry. When you begin to understand words in the context and you begin to understand words in the Bible by the original meaning, 
or the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, when you begin to understand those words, then it completely can change a verse's meaning. Even although you thought it might have meant one thing, when we fully understand in its context, we go, wow, that means something totally different from what I had a misconceived idea about. Know this, that the Bible does not change. We change because of the Bible. So it's not that the Bible was wrong and I was reading it right. It's that I was reading it wrong, right? There is no new revelation under the... The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. It was always there, right? So it's our understanding. So even in this verse, the opening two words can totally change how we look at this verse. It says, therefore... Remember, Paul had shown the Ephesians what they were without Christ and that was a reminder of what they were now in Christ. Therefore, guys, remember what you were before. And then he says, therefore, remember. It was like saying all of the riches of God in Christ Jesus are yours. You're his creation. So with that in mind, Always remember, always be mindful of this incredible blessing of salvation. <clears throat> always be mind of, mindful from whence you came. And always be thankful to God. Always making mention of the grace given to you. Never forget. And how so often we do forget to be thankful. He then adds to this context of why we must keep this thought of thankfulness, remembering what he's done of our previous lives, what we have been blessed with and who we are now in Christ at the forefront of our minds. It's not that we would wallow in our past sinfulness. For as we looked at last week, we're what? Behold, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away and all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that. It's not, for the purpose, it's not for that purpose to sit and wallow. It's for the purpose of glory that we remember. Glory to, to God for his salvation and that we were dead and he hath made us alive. When we were blind, he opened the eyes of our understanding to the truth of the gospel. When we were deaf, he opened our ears to hear. When we were headed straight, to the pit of hell, he, before the foundations of the earth, had been regenerating, ploughing the field of our hearts and quickening our mortal bodies and bringing us to an oh-so-sweet revival. So, therefore, remember. Remember, it says, that at one time, formerly in the past, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh... So keep all of this in mind, he's saying, and remember that before your salvation, we were Gentiles in the flesh. That is, we were all sinners who had fallen short of the glory of God, locked into a trajectory of a self-serving worldly destination. That was our path. Remember previously we looked at the nature is on course for destruction and Christ will bring all of it together in himself. To present it redeemed. All of creation is groaning. And it will be presented redeemed before the Father. 
And it's our destination and was destruction, but that's not now. We've been delivered and our destination is now eternity with God. The word formerly means at some time in the past. So therefore remember that at one time, or one place formerly at one time in the past, Paul covers us in Romans 7, 9. He would say, talking about, he says, of himself, he says, for I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That was who he was, what was going on in his life. The gospel came, his sin died with the old man. And this phrase he has already spoken of earlier in chapter Ephesians, we saw in verse 2. In chapter 2 it says, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What we once walked, past tense. Gentiles, the word Gentiles is an interesting thought. Gentiles is a word to describe the heathen. They would say the pagans who did not worship the one true and living God. Those who were in the flesh is speaking of our fallen nature, carnal minded, fleshly. Paul speaks of our state before we're redeemed. That we were carnal minded, we were once with the world, we were in the flesh. This is not speaking of the flesh which covers our physical bodies right, and permeated with blood. It's in the context of this verse. He's using the word in the flesh to mean to speak of the human nature of man without divine intervention. So when he says I'm in the flesh and you read that in the New Testament a lot it's talking about in the flesh or he was in the flesh. It's our sinful nature, the human nature of us. This very nature of man without God is prone to sin. That's fact. As, and as we have seen from previous classes, our sinful nature is in direct opposition to the nature of God. So let us, before we move on, recap by remembering what we said at the beginning here. Therefore, remember. Remember we are to keep in our mind the thankfulness to God for our salvation from that trajectory we were on. That although we were dead, he has saved us and made us alive together with him. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're carnally minded and condemned no more. Paul now moves on to add further insight into this. He told the Ephesians, remember, you used to be carnally minded in the flesh, opposed to God. Who were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. What an interesting phrase. Hello, uncircumcision, or hello, circumcision person. It's like, what does this mean? He's basically saying they were not only Gentiles, those of uncircumcision, but there were Jews who were those who were of circumcision. Right? They were called the uncircumcision. He's speaking physically of the difference where Jews were circumcised and Gentiles were not. And then in the transferable sense, spiritually, they were previously living in a condition which was corrupt and whose desires had not yet, selfish desires had not yet died. Circumcision was an act, was a right of the Jew, which the Gentiles wanted no part of. 
But metaphorically speaking, it is describing a life that is consecrated to God. One who is separated from the world, from those unclean. One whose evil desires and passions and impurity were removed. Romans 8, 28-29 says this, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, but by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So what was a deed done by human hands to cut the foreskin had a real spiritual meaning behind it. The Jews were more fixated, however, with the physical circumcision that they missed the blessing. They missed faith. They missed what the Old Testament prophets said. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And in Jeremiah 4, 4, it says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. The Gentiles were not like that. They did not believe or practice it. They were known as heathen. They were known as those who were far from God. To the Jews. The Jews lorded their practices over them. They were sort of like, the Jews felt like they were a superior to the Gentiles. They lorded over them. Paul, as we saw in chapter 1, reminds them, of course, that even although they were Gentiles, that now, under the gospel, they would be one in Christ together with the Jews who believed on the Lord Jesus. Galatians 6 15 to 16 says this, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He, Christ, remember, is for all of God's people, not just for the Jew who saved or the Gentile that saved, he's for all. Whether Jew, Gentile, Cotebridgean, Glaswegian, Greek, Italian, Hamiltonian, wherever you're from, he's for all of God's people. Remember that you were, in verse 12, because it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from God. Here's another thing he's asking us to remember. Therefore, remember. Remember where you came. Remember also that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul's now urging the Ephesians to recall that time before they were far from God, never thinking of anything other than the course of the nature and the sinfulness that they were indeed separated from Christ. Their course, their opposition to God and sinfulness alienated them. But Paul uses a phrase here that you were. Remember that you were past tense separated. The Jews, at least at that time, they hoped, they believed, they felt they were close to God. 
They were close to God because of their physical acts, because of their deeds, because of the things they did. They believed in the Messiah. They just didn't have faith. They believed in the promised Messiah to come, but not the Gentiles. Paul reminds them of the depth of misery that they were, that they were in through four points. The four points of the depths of their misery, Gentiles, was number one, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. This would give the impression that they were, past tense, alienated from this commonwealth. But now in Christ, they've been given citizenship to this commonwealth. You see, the non-Jews, who all were uncircumcised, were now brought into Christ. Beforehand, God called, God's called nation was the nation of Israel. The Jews, his chosen people, to be a Jew... One of the things that men had to do was be circumcised. But Paul emphasises, as we saw in Galatians, that this is not the case now. He says, all are one in Christ and look upon each other as brothers and sisters. No longer Jews, but Christians. No longer Gentiles, but Christians. The word Christian means one of. One of Christ's. We are now all one of Christ's, one in Christ, one for Christ, and one through Christ. Paul emphasizes this point even further in what I would say is the greatest book of the Bible, Romans. Which also has what I would say in contestation against my wife, the greatest chapter in the Bible in Romans chapter 8. But it also includes in the book of Romans the most neglected chapter in the Bible. Romans chapter 9. And as I was reading through this, I thought, I just felt the impression for us to read Romans 9. So we're going to read the whole chapter. And I'm praying that as you read through this with me tonight, that you'll begin to see something unlock in your thinking and go home and meditate on this amazing chapter of the Bible in Romans 9. I'll wait till you turn there. I'm reading from the ESV, so hopefully it won't be. Everybody will have probably various translations of this. Romans 9 says this. Speaks of God's choice, God's sovereign choice. says, I am speaking the truth in Christ, Paul says. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Verse 4. They are Israelites, And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Verse 6 says this, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
This means that it is, the, the, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, her forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there justice, any justice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is moulded say to its moulder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honourable use and another for dishonourable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I'll call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts Had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it's written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
The one of problem. I know why people do not read that out in church. It answers so many questions about whom God has in his incredible will chosen. But we don't read that in church very often. We don't talk about this kind of chapter very much. So powerful that we must immerse ourselves in the doctrines of the book of Romans. So glorious is that passage of scripture bringing with it such incredible truths of the complete sovereignty of our God. But not only here, even again in Romans 11, verses 11 to 31, he says, he speaks to the Gentiles who were grafted into Christ. The Jews, unless they believe in the Lord Jesus, would be cut off, as is all who live by works and not by faith in Christ. For it's the faith in Christ that then leads us to good works, not good works that leads us to Christ. The Jews, the chosen of Israel, were the children of Israel, but they're now, they're now grafted into God's family of the Gentiles also. The process of grafting here was where a vine dresser, they sort of like, I think it works where they, they get to the, the tree and they slice into the tree apart, right into the, the cut of the tree where the sap would be. And then they insert a branch that had fallen off. They could set a branch of another tree and they would put it in there and they put this kind of stuff on it that holds it in place. And eventually the tree from the, the sap begins to take, take root within that vine and be fed by that vine. It's a bit like John 15, you know, we're the branch, he's the vine, we're the branches. We must abide in them, stay with them. And it's like that, they were, they were taken, so it's, it's that picture he's given of the Jews, were always seen as the people of God, the children of Israel, those that believe by faith are in the vine and he's grafting into the same family all those who were cut off. From before and now they're brought back to life that which was dead is now brought back to life in the vine before Christ we were shut out from fellowship shut out from intimacy with the father Ephesians 14 says they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds Colossians 1.21. So that's the first thing he looked at. That he said when uh, coming out there, the four, one of the four points, Paul reminds of depths to their misery. One, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And number two, they were strangers to the covenant of promise. The Ephesians reminded that they were cut off from the kingdom of God following the course of this world, have now through Christ been adopted into his kingdom, planted firmly in the vine, what they were now no longer, and now one with all believers, whether Jew or Gentile, there's now no longer a difference in the eyes of God. Not only alienated, but they were past tense, like sojourners in a land of no hope. Cut off, doomed, no concept of the covenant of the promise. This word phrase, covenant of promise, means the agreement of the security of salvation achieved by the work of Christ. The Christian salvation is the fulfillment of those promises and covenants made to Abraham, Isaac, onwards. This covenant fulfilled in Christ and ratified with the shedding of his own blood. This glorious new eternal covenant that they were excluded from, that they knew even nothing about. 
is revealed only through faith in Christ. The third thing that their misery held up was, was they had no hope. They were having no hope. I'm sure we can all remember a time, I'm pretty sure if I went down the room here, could ask you all to explain a time where you remember where you felt like you had no hope. But we do now have the hope of security and our salvation. We were past tense alienated without that hope. In a world that is on course for destruction, our path was one way, a downward spiral. But now through Christ, our path has changed direction and it is still one way, right to Jesus for all of eternity, heaven bound. You see, a man without God is a man whose only hope is placed in what he has in his bank account or what he has in the bricks and mortar that surround him in his house. He keeps company with people and it's only that as his security. There is no hope to be placed in such temporary things. Hope in Christ is the only eternal hope that brings security. We must continue to pray for all those that we know who we know do not know Christ, that they find faith in Christ, that God reveals himself to them, that he saves them from the clutches of hell and they too can enjoy the hope in God. And the fourth thing is that they were without God in the world. How often man puts his trust in other gods such as money, work, possessions, celebrities. I used to have a, a girl in a youth group oh, many years ago when I was a youth pastor. And this one girl, my, this girl was fixated by fashion and celebrities. And she messaged uh, through these like, WhatsApps or whatever it was. I don't know what it was about. Some sort of, I think it was Twitter had just come out and all that stuff and Instagram. And she was like, blasting out to all these celebrities, trying to tag them all every time she wore something new or did something. And she's now got a website where companies now send her clothes to try on. She's become quite successful at it. She's met loads of celebrities. And, and I said to her one day, you know, you've got such a great personality. People love hanging around you. You're always around. So how about you come on board and help us and become a youth leader? Yeah, I'd love to do that. What do I need to do? Give up your fixation with other people who are ungodly. That's all I asked, thought it was pretty simple. Never did she ever come back. I was like, oh, I've spoken to her since those days and chatted and this kind of stuff. But when we put the Bible in front of people and say, this is the calling of God. This is what God is. They were, she was so fixated by the world that she had only the world. She had no God. When it was really conviction comes, her hope and trust is in people, in celebrities. It never was in God. How often man puts his trust like that. Calvin in his commentary, John Calvin on Galatians, says this about man without God. For every man who is not taught by God's word builds and forges absurd conceits of his own. And we know that man's mind is like a store of idolatry and superstition, so much so that if a man believes his own mind, it is certain that he will forsake God and forge some idol in his own brain. So true. When we're not fixated in God, something else becomes our idol. And we'll finish this section by verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
In this verse 4 of this chapter, last week we looked at how everything changed. Uh, in verse 4 of the, the earlier on in this chapter 2, how everything changed when the Apostle Paul used the term, but God. Everything changed. Now in a similar fashion, after speaking of where we were, again he highlights the importance of position. But now in Christ Jesus, right there, everything changes. For we have seen what and who we were, but right now in our blessed Saviour we are brought near. Because of the precious blood of Christ washing our sins and forgiving all of our trespasses. But now, you may have been going through what you feel is a spiral of your life right now where things are seemingly in chaos, seemingly ununderstandable and sometimes we go through things in life where we don't know why we're going through things. Imagine being the unbeliever. Suddenly you have an awareness of God and the Holy Spirit's been working and you come to that place of salvation and you're suddenly, oh, I need Jesus, I want more of Jesus, I want more of Jesus. Your life was going completely one way, but then... God intervened and it's now going another way. You might have believed something about scripture was one thing, but when the Holy Spirit intervenes and reveals the deep things of God, what you frivolously may have read in the past now becomes doctrinal truth. And you're like, wow, never seen that before. That's the mystery, the wonder of God But God, but now in Christ Jesus. We are now in Christ, for Christ, living through Christ and his works to be brought together as one in Christ. 